Hello everybody, my name is Tevo Diarcy and I'm the apostle. That means the one that God originally gave and downloaded the information, the communication that he wanted me to begin this work. And it started back in the 80s as teaching Bible as well as prayer and intercession for Christian area leaders and revival, cross-cultural and cross-body for unity and revival. I come from a pastor's family of prayer warriors, my mother and my mother's mother included especially, and my sister and aunt, you name it. But we've had the ability to be led by the Spirit and happen to have a capable side, but also one that has always had the respect for men in the Christian faith people in the Christian faith and outside of that and we want to have all people respect everybody no matter what their belief system their age their generation their gender their choices their physical appearance and their race that's called being mature every word I give is to the body of Christ the men and women in that and leadership and anyone else who wants to listen can certainly pay attention and maybe learn something, but feel free to evaluate, but every word is directed to the ministry. Today is July the 20th when I'm filming this, and I just finished an article of Chief Apostle Paul and the Silent Church Women. I want you to know I was raised in the church, didn't matter what denomination, coming down from Presbyterian Baptist mainly, and then the Lord led me to study his body, so I understand now the denominations that are non-denominational and the move of the Holy Spirit, which I enjoy, as well as Bible teaching. The Lord said, I don't want you to go to seminary or Bible college, even though I asked the Lord if he wanted me to. My father had been a graduate of the University of Louisville, Kentucky Seminary, whatever that is, and which one, And but I didn't. The Lord said, do not go, and I said, but Lord, and he said a scripture, and I looked it up, and it said that that I will teach you, what is it? It says, I will teach you in the Holy Spirit. Well, you will have no need, excuse me, you will have no need that any man shall teach you, any person to teach you, but the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. Let me make that a well-rounded statement. That didn't mean I sat in an isolated, never fellowshipping, never growing, never listening to anybody else's ministry, never having dialogue, letting people instruct me, hold me accountable. Quite the opposite. I did all of the above. But at the same time, I felt that Christian responsibility to be a noble Berean, that means to analyze, pick apart, not find fault with, but to really evaluate the teaching coming off of the local ministries, the body of Christ at large, my own doctrine, let God reprove it or correct it, my families, as well as television and Christian media. When I was accepted the Lord at nine, rededicated at 12, listening to Billy Graham outside my grandmother's door one day, then really got on as what my grandmother used to pray for me, my Christian prayer warrior grandmother, Boo, on my mother's side. She prayed I'd be on fire for the Lord. Well, I started to do that in, right before I left for college and ex- really understood what it meant to serve the Lord on my own, you know, with the Lord and like a Jesus person. But when I was 24, that was 18, uh, many years later, when I was 24, I was sitting in a church, happened to be 
half Presbyterian, half charismatic Presbyterian. And I was before children, but I was married. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to study my body, the different styles that believe the Bible, that different kind of ministries, different colors, whatever their doctrines are, as well as their pet peeves, their red flag buzzwords, their music, their ministry. And one day I'll have you build bridges to the body of Christ. So I've always been out with the saints to the community, feeling that my call is serving at large leadership, Christian cross-denominational, sans-denominational, that means without in French, pan-cultural, pan-denominational, it means crossing and being involved with leadership from all parts of the Christian body, the true ones, that means cross-national, cross-global, whatever he says, and many of you are like that. So we get the idea that God has a body, a team, and that is found in the description of Ephesians 4, chapter 4, which not many people talk about. They're willing to reveal that if they're in ministry. I don't know what their own pet group funded or, you know, make them exclusive elite. We're not into that. I'm not going to be down that pike. I've come across a lot of things, and one of them I'm hoping not to be, if this, you know, as the Lord progresses in time, this is not to be celebrity. It's not about me, my ideas, my ministry, me-centric. It's about the Lord. This is on His team with all the others. I'm simply available. One of my newsletters I put out, I wrote, what is the servant leader? What's the goal, goal of a servant? Let's say Psalm 123 talks about the servants waiting on the the look from, the glance from, the command from their master. And so as a servant leader in ministry, an apostle, a servant apostle, and dealt with ministry, ministry leadership all my life, I just say, well, Lord, I don't want to hurry out. I don't want to construct anything unless you're telling me and showing me what it is. That's really based on common sense, not to do anything just to do it or drum up business. But it's also based on Bible. In the Old Testament it says, I think it's Psalm 127 verse 1, unless the man, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And I don't want to build anything or commit to anything that the Lord isn't telling us. The other one's even more important, that scripture in John where Christ says about himself, he says, I don't do anything in first I, unless I first see the Father do it. That means I first perceive or see, I perceive inside my knower, I get it downloaded from the Lord. He said, even if, and I don't even, and Christ, he's better than myself, <laughs> he says, I don't even say anything unless I see, perceive or see my Father say it inside, that I'm to say it. I only do it. Anything that is not of the Lord would be not of the Holy Spirit. And see, Christ was 100% effective, 100% leader, effective and effective and affecting because he did only do what he saw the Father tell him to do. And they only did and said what he heard the Father say in his spirit with his relationship with the Lord. And I try, even though I always try, I don't get it 100% neither to you. That's why it's so important we don't look to any one office minister, one prophet, one pastor, one Christian, our mama, for the ultimate, oh yeah, they know it all, they've heard it, you know, depending on them, we have to be the noble Berean. That means picking apart, like Paul commended the Jews, they did with his teaching, 
he thanked them. He was amazed at them and grateful and thought they were wise. They were noble, the noble Berean Jews, because they picked apart Paul's doctrine, his teachings, to make sure they lined up with the Bible. Paul said, follow me only as I follow Christ, only where, only if I follow Christ. I'm authentically following him. And like Paul, we want you to do the same. When I grew up with a Baptist father, Baptist pastor, father and mother, and the fear of the Lord, I had no idea what would start to unfold in the body of Christ when I started to fulfill God's commission to me to go study his saint. I was right when the TV ministries, big TV stations of Christians came on, glossy magazines, new doctrine, winds of doctrine, fads and fancies. I call them fat, yeast of the Fadducees. And then eventually I, there were prophecies given in 1996. One in my personal group, someone came in, a lawyer who was a prophet back in the state of Virginia, and he said this. He said, I got a vision. I have a vision of all these party boats and casinos, and they're like churches, and they're big and they're small. They're mega and they're many, but they're, these are the churches. And I went, oh, no, I don't understand. I mean, I understand it, but I don't see that. Well, now I do. I've been seeing it for since moving out here. And I say that respectfully. All of them are not like that, whether they are black or white, whether they're big or small. But I'm saying it. I've never seen it, but now I have. At the same time, in 1996 or thereabouts, one of the Christian magazines had an ad in the paper, and I always regret not buying it, but I was a mom with children and tight finances. It was like a $2 book, but that's how tight it was. And it was a book by a prophet I had been a, really helped by earlier with his little $2 book on favor. I think his name was Bob Buess, Buess. And his book on favor was helped transform me into having favor, learning about the process that Jesus Christ himself increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And if he had to do it, he needed to do it, then so should we, so should I. So I believe, you know, I, I understood that scripture passage, and he helped me. So when I saw his book advertised, I never bought it, which I regret I didn't, but it was a word for now. The prophecy of, of Dr. or Brother Buis back then was that to warn the church that fantasy and, show, and showbiz, fantasy would start to intervene affect the churches and it does look at all the film and the slides and the fancy showmanship and the things going on in media that aren't always true and in mega and micro and personal life that isn't always true it bells and whistles and fan clubs and fantasy and showmanship all these things and you have to evaluate People who have big churches are not necessarily all like that or not. People who have fancy TV and entourage, that didn't mean they're like that. We're not saying it, but you have to watch out because what I saw was being in grassroots, not surrounded by handlers, not kept by family who are, you know, nepotism or anything like that. I was with the grassroots people and I was happened to be there before all this, during while it happened mostly on the East Coast, and now, after many 30 years of this, the download, and I am in the mega area, Metroplex, where it is a lot of famous Christians and Christ following. I would caution to say this, when you look at a famous bishop, 
a famous apostle, prophet, teacher, Baptist, Methodist, charismatic, prophetic, Pentecostal, black or white. Don't think each one is a charlatan, a phony, a whatever negative thing you'd think, because that's not necessarily true. What I find is that people, and I'm speaking from grassroots, where you meet them, you know, grassroots, and how they're being affected by teaching on TV. I'm finding that if you research like a noble breed and the top leaders who started movements, you're going to find they're okay, pretty much okay in their work and their ethics and their relationships. And they love the Lord. They just happen to get a big gift going. And then what happens, though, is the cautionary tale. Those people preach. They're not known. Finally, they get known. They start to multiply. People get their books and respect them. They get their colleges, their teaching tapes, their books. And it starts to get online and dissimilate. Well, it's, you know, it hadn't always been online, but it starts to get out. So now they have a second generation and a third and a fifth and a tenth. And what you get at the grassroots is the generation, not them. And those people who they preach to, the head founder, aren't responsible. The Christian at the top is not really responsible for those that take their doctrine use it to abuse people, to accuse people with it, to go by the book, to miss it, to morph in error, people using famous fame and bow down to me even though they got less than 200. There's too many. When I was on the East Coast especially, and I'm always looking at, you know, being sent to either speak or or look for my own need to be met, shop around for a church, test drive so I can either find a family church to fellowship with mega or micro or recommend so right now i'm previewing and going to a few because i believe there's a need i'm always out with the highways and byways people i bump into people all the time i can recommend and i can't recommend a lot out here like i'd like to i can't find that family feel in a lot of ministry out here so i go and when i can find them i'll light up and i'll really try to enjoy them myself but also as a body teammate send people and I've like three at least three that are quality right now and I'll be glad to help people plus at my own fellowship if the Lord allows right now we're online and if we're supposed to have more the right team will show up and I want it diverse but the other part is we don't really mind we're happier than we've ever been in the United States in the Christian ministry right now and I'm peaceful But we understand life at the grassroots, life where the real rubber meets the road, where it's relationship friendly, or they're angry at at their mother and now they're angry at all women, and where the plastic and the true meet, or the phony and the cast of characters who call themselves Christians, be they have good golly character, or they're charlatans and posers and users and accusers and abusers of men and women. It's really out there. So from this point of view, after many decades, decades of this, I can, you know, I never have achieved or arrived anywhere. I can't rest on any laurel, but I can have, say, I've had experience, a lot of fun and a lot of true heartache at deciding, you know, some of the pathetic representations of what goes on under saying, oh yeah, you need to fellowship with the saints like Paul commanded in Hebrews 10. Therefore, I'm that outspoken because I care for Jesus first. 
I care for his reputation, his house, more than I care for all these plastic, phony ministers or ministries, the systems of this day, the showboats, the casinos, in it for in it for the money, making money, making sure they get theirs like a Pharisee. Am I queen of any ministry? No, I don't take, I really am the opposite. And we are trying to figure out how to do what God says without ripping anybody off, being overly conscious of money and all that. So I'm working on my my tent maker side right now. Also, we are not, even though I have a white skin, God put me on assignment on this earth like he put you in a certain earth suit. Mine is we, Western European heritage, but I am not we-centric. I am not wanting to be over everybody, entitled. I'm not wanting to be, own anyone, and I'm not one type of politics. I just pick each group and each person, each election, one day at a time, by what they believe, by the Bible. Are we pro-body of Christ? Yes. Are we pro? I'm really more tribal and European, more global than a lot of people who've just thought of like, we-centric. We-centric means we are the world. We've always owned everything. We always are at the center. Nobody's other teaching or other kind of ministry or lifestyle or personality is equal to ours therefore we don't have to grow we don't want to grow and I met too many of that to now teach on it I thought you know what on rate on TV there's so much accusation and now against born-again Christians and against red state people I thought I got to clarify what kind of people are the kind that are abusive and racist we're not and what kind of kind are the ones that, if you're white, they accuse you of being a racist, I think you better say you're Western European, Eastern European American. I want to have that on those checkboxes instead of just the ones for Hispanic origin or another origin. I want to have equal opportunity for our kids. I think we better all get out there and say, I demand Western, we, I'm Western European heritage. They're equal because in the future, this is going to be the minority. I think ahead. But the idea is, once you get to the black or the white, and you, I'm not going to get deal with the black, they're fine with me. I'm looking at white. I'm thinking, all right, if they're Caucasian and we, Western European, Eastern European, how do they treat me? How do they treat others? And when I found on my journey that this circle was sort of a... Well, when I moved to Texas, I had been around so many we's in my life. <laughs> and that's what really you know, made me upset. I thought, man... I can see why people have run across this certain kind. They were we-centric. Country we-centric. Never moved, never opened to anything new. I thought, man, no wonder people are getting angry with Christians. They're unloving, unfriendly, not really open to all races, all kinds, even chauvinism. They're biased. And they're in ministry. So I thought, let's look at the doctrine. And why come my dad, who is white, deep south, wasn't like that and we're not like that my extended family and I know all these people everywhere hundreds upon thousands of them really through my life that are not like that and their outer earth suit is white Caucasian 
So I looked at the doctrine and I thought, you know what, this is we-centric. We maybe own the world, used to colonial, I'm not. My mom, and come from that, Christian like that, but we repented in the 70s from all that. My mom did. That was a great thing. I thought it was, I was always really careful because I was a Jesus person when I didn't know all about this, but I started to think, you know, aristocratic believers, aristocratic teaching or pedigree of your family or whatever this family tree, it just bothered me. And my, my mother wanted to tell me when I was in, right to go to college and I was convicted, mom, don't even tell me that. I don't want to know about this. I don't want to be entitled or elite. And you can't help but learn some stuff, but I think the best thing I like is my Tevo.org. They, well, I don't know what the name is, but it's Tevo Church of the Huguenot French Ancestry. Now, I like that part. That's more me. But I really didn't care. So when my mom, we went to some meeting in Richmond, Virginia at a at a uh, very wonderful African-American church pastor a leader of prayer moves in the area at the time. And he had a time where everyone were any slaves or owned any, you know, your denominational was on your, uh, you know, you thought you were such a great thing because you were a denominational, denominational race divided thing. We all repented. And I thought that was great. So once you repent, you just move on and, and don't always have to be back and feel like, oh, woe is me. I'm not good. You know, evil me. You have to just say, Lord, I, I repented. I really didn't even do it. I wouldn't own slaves if anybody gave me one. I would never own any other person, much less black or white or brown. I would never do that anyway. But because there is a spirit of, you know, generational things that come down, you repent. And it's under the blood. And you watch your heart. And you don't get entitled. And let God, and you respect all kinds of people. And you teach on that, which I do. I purposely do that. But I never did it as big until I relocated. God sent me down almost like a the Babylonian captivity down to middle class, middle income, wanting to be big, wanting to be big and achieve and earn and hit super style ministry. I would never have ever wanted to be in the middle of this. And I still don't. So I don't go there. But I, while I was there, not knowing the turf, as a newbie, not as a novice, not as a fledgling minister, but as a prophet, apostle, every time anything happened, if it happened three times, I'd note it and I'd say, all right, let me check out what's in their doctrinal bathwaters. There for the grace of God. And therefore, since I did have a wonderful, normal, they were Christians in ministry, Rather than Baptists, they just happened to be sent to the Baptists because we just don't care about that. Mom was Presbyterian. She didn't care, so she married the man who loved her, and she loved him, and they chose Baptists for their career and being sent to the Baptists. And when I was sent to the Baptists through them, I grew up and I thought, I don't feel like being a Baptist. I'm not sent there. I'm sent to be cross-denominational, Holy Spirit, all these things. So we can pick the good of every movement. I could be like Baptocostal, Methodocostal, Catholicocostal, because I like servant leadership community, all colors. But I don't have to have my style up on a pedestal and ministry elite. That's what I'm coming out against, because it really breeds big eyes, little U's, and you only respect the people that are in the in crowd, not the ones, everyone like Paul. 
I even look at Paul and I say, how did he write about himself when he called himself apostle? How did he write about the fivefold office gifts of evangelist, teacher, apostle, pastor, prophet over in Ephesians 4? Anytime he writes them, even bishop. Every time Paul writes about any of the offices, he's writing in a lowercase letter, not capital A, as in servant leadership. Yes, people can have bigger anointings or bigger gifts or bigger calls or everyone is equal, were they more pronounced or renowned or not. And I prefer the word renowned. Jesus was renowned. Way back in years ago, the Lord showed me the renowned versus celebrity. Apostle Paul comes out against celebrity in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 1. He's almost embarrassed about the people doing that. He says, don't say I'm for famous teacher Apollos. Don't say I'm for famous teacher Paul. Say I'm for Jesus only. He does that twice. He confirms it. But in the, the days when you're discovering yourself in the Lord, you have to know that if you get well known, that's it. If you get widely known, you're going to be looked at by the common, you know, the secular and even ministry view. You're famous. So I've thought of that. I've had this. I always felt there would be a day when I'd come forth. I'll be honest. I can always say I've always known I'll come forth somehow. But now I don't want it to be celebrity. I really do not. Why? Here's a couple of reasons. When I first started ministry is when right when Jim Baker, Jim Swaggart scandals happened. I saw the fallout in my family, personally, and with friends and the nation. It's been accusing ever since. I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what's going on? And he said, Micah 7, 5. It says, do not put your trust in your neighbor. Do not put your trust in your guide. Do not put your trust in in the one who lies beside you in bed, only put your trust and confidence in the Lord. That was the answer. Tell people not to put your confidence. Like Paul said, don't follow me if I don't follow Christ accurately. Paul himself set the stage. So then I went and found Psalm 118, 8 and 9, and it says, do not put your confidence in man, only in God. Do not put your confidence in princes, that leadership, only in God, ultimately. You respect them, you, you heed some of their wisdom, but you don't make them a celebrity, put them on a throne. What happened was, when those scandals came, now those people repented, I'm not picking anything with them. We need to pray for everybody like that, all right? Pray for them, all right? But the idea is that when people are not told not that they, they can be a noble Berean, when they're not told that they should not put them on a, don't put me on a pedestal, only trust God, but I'll share this maybe in a sila form, but you have the right to evaluate it like I try to do because of Paul. I say that if the leader stumbles and makes a, falls into sin or falls out completely, then everybody says, well, he, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not devastated because I didn't put my hope in them. When I saw what happened in the 80s, and I mean this, I saw people who had given to these people, put them on a pedestal, hoped in them, and when two different people, one man, one female, and when they fell, those people got cynical, and later one of them fell completely away from the Lord. I hope that person's come back. But I was there, and I saw the fallout in America and globally about criticism, cynicism about TV, famous people, and therefore I'm just learning from that and sharing what I thought. 
So it's nothing wrong with having renown. God gave me in Zephaniah 3, I believe, Zechariah, Zephaniah, that you will have renown. Some of you will have renown. So renown is like Jesus going about doing good. You did, more people come. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him. I've heard of her. That is renown. That's healthy. But when you take stock of celebrity, it's letting people say, letting people fawn over you, letting people celebrate, but then it goes too far, letting people put you on a pedestal so it's big eyes and little U's. What does big eyes do? Big eyes says, well, first of all, let me give some history. When I was studying all these doctrines that were hitting me in the head out here, famous preacher, celebrity, showbiz, too much of that, Eli, Temple High Priesthood, immune, compassion fatigue, using stereotypes, tolerating, using of money, using of women, uh, stuff like that here and there. Not everywhere. When I never thought I'd ever use the word Babylon ministry, but I felt I'd hit it. No, 85% didn't have the fear of the Lord where I used to be. Not McKinney. I'm not talking McKinney or denominationals, basically. Then I thought, man, I better get my act together. What, by the grace of God, am I teaching wrong? So I let God reprove me, and I always do, and I always hope to will. But I thought, at least I believe I have a modicum of the fear of the Lord, and I couldn't find that many, and I have found more lately. Thank God, more the remnant is growing, the godly remnant is showing me more of them. So I went to my Bible, I went to the Lord, mostly alone, and I thought started to get in the doctrines, because I was upset. I thought, all these people are crowding to these clubby churches, where there's the in crowd, the out crowd, and it projects rejection to the ones, because they're smart. They're not dumb. They've been through bias. They've had people withstand them, not be friendly. They're, you know, they've been in places where it's been cold, and now they spy it right away. And I thought, man, therefore the grace of God, go I, let's teach on it. Because we're supposed to have automatic, equal opportunity, respect in every church fellowship, like their family, not the competition, not us against them, spooky Jezebel spying, witch watching is what the worst I've ever seen in charismatics, prophetic charismatics, some of them. So I got on this noble Berean thing from the Lord. Well, when I was studying the Eli Temple High Priesthood of 1 Samuel, which to me is parallel exactly to the New Testament Church of Ephesus, the lampstand that gets rebuked in Revelation 2, chapter 1, I mean chapter 2, verse 1, because they lost their first love and now they're focused on achievement, their good works, their good deeds. I thought, let's study when it mentioned in the book of Revelation a couple of times that God hates the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. I thought, what are the Nicolaitans? Turns out when you look at the root word of Nicolaitan, it means Nike, Laos. Nike, like the shoe, means to control. Nike means to control and Laos is the people. So evidently in the first church that was growing and young, false doctrines, false teachers started to come in that were teaching these false doctrines of control to, of, over the people. What I read about it, it's, it was a Greek Gnostic, that means not Christian. It was a Greek human doctrine that said elevate church, fellowshipping house to house, everyone equal, some call to the apostolic ministry, not table waiters, not to be out among the people because they had to sequester themselves to hear God and for prayer and festing, which is like this minister basically, mine, mine is to the same call. 
and there were some called to table waiters be out with the people and set order and make sure people were fair and right which is administration and starting of a uh, revelation of the hierarchy you know but in a not controlling fascistic way but in Holy Spirit realms so when the Gnostic doctrine came in, things were going, growing and multiplying, and they were house to house. Nobody ever said, oh yeah, they're church hoppers because they went to too many fellowship houses, and I saw them. So no legalism accusation was there in that first church. But when the doctrine of the Nicolaitans came, and I only read that one time, and I don't, you know, I'm just saying what I submit to you, it makes sense. They control the people. Well, some of the people that were over people were mature and healthy. As the church went on, maybe they weren't. Some of them were off a bit. Like Paul, you know, Paul assesses and he has to address and rebuke the Galatians ministers for being back under the law under somebody's witchcraft. He says, why are you back into witchcraft? Who fooled you, foolish Galatians? So not everything was a hunky-dory all the time, hunky-dory. So when I researched the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, it said it was the first a secular, humanistic, Greek wisdom thinking that came into the church that separated the fivefold ministry up above the, the lay. And I thought, that's what I see. What it set the stage was celebrity, big eyes, little U's. Fivefold all-wise offices. We are the only ones that know it all. You're just the peons. It set up the stage for pastor-dependent sheep to get their ego needs fit, met. And it also stripped confidence and a, an ability to think for themselves and created pastor-dependent sheep. They're the sheep. Oh yeah, know nothing. All I need to do, and a lot of people in America, I know that a lot of men do this, hate to say it, not all, but some of them are out there. I met them. <clears throat> oh yeah, we'll go sit for an hour in church, bide our time, check our watch, think about eating at Wendy's afterwards. We'll do it to be with the family, to please them, get God off my case, then I feel better, my conscience is clean. I'll go sit there, bide my time, listen to the sermon, hear it, sing a few songs, and I'll be out of there for the next week. And it it creates a need. There's no need to be responsible for your own, working out your own salvation, being a Nobaburian. And like I said, pastor-dependent sheep or prophets or apostles. And then also, hate to say it, by this time, pastor, uh, people-dependent pastors or prophets. Not everywhere. But... A lot of this could be researched, analyzed, prayed about, no Berean taught, and then let's just start all over, clean out the ministry, clean out our family, clean out the Christian ministry and the born-again people groups and start all over. If I have to worry that I cannot go to hear from the Holy Spirit and get in good worship and seek the mind of the Lord in a calm fashion in a ministry that really believes in the Holy Spirit moving in the gifts, if I have to concern myself that if I go dressed as my outer earth suit, female, middle-aged, whatever demeanor, demeanor as a Caucasian, that I could be withstood 
openly berated without any relationship, have my name spread without any contact or any talk from a peer. Matthew 18.15, Galatians 6.1, which are hugely omitted relationship verses, and be named as a witch, accused as a witch or Jezebel, just by my appearance and their own spooky spiritual doctrine. When they have good teaching that's healthy about a lot of things, and I would like to hear deeper. So I found people that are not like that, but it took years out here. So we're putting people on the up and up. You have your right to hear God. You have the right to be the Nobuberian. Everything I say, everything you hear, everything you want to read about, you look it up and see if it's really in the Bible. Or if they're confused, or maybe you're confused, get your online Bible out. B-Y-O-B. The bottom line is, don't just be high and mighty self-righteous. Don't accuse people. Assess the one, one through five, over a period. That's the only way you leave, sisters. Even pastors, even anybody or anybody, your mama could be lovers of themselves, accusers, boasters, denying the power thereof, big egos from such turn away, and we have. We want to. But first you forgive them, you pray for them, you love them, you walk the extra mile, and if they still are bad and affecting your family, your marriage, or your children, get out. God has commanded you. All right, the other part would be you always make sure you're not swallowing blindly every person's Kool-Aid, even your families. You don't just, you pick apart like a calm, sweet, respectful and thoughtful, noble Berean, every type of doctrine you've ever, that's ever sort of made you concerned or puzzled you, that you're not quite sure, is it really back under the law? Or do, And so be your own noble Berean, bring your own Bible, it's going to be very protective of you and your family. But just don't be self-righteous. And I believe God is going to call up many people who are pure-hearted, even though they think they're immature, they're not really well-versed. God can create in you that teacher, that prophetic call. He can build you so that you will help people into a very credible ministry where you are, male or female, just by being one who knows the truth, the real truth without an ego not back under the law, and you can start anywhere. That could be your ministry in your house, at a McDonald's, a coffee shop, wherever you feel it, and let God lead you. But don't do it unless you feel it's from the Lord. Many years ago when I was, my dad, had, we'd moved from a little town where he had a church. He was the pastor, and he supplied pastor in Norfolk, Virginia, which is a huge metropolitan area, era, not era, but area, cosmopolitan. So our family went with my father when he preached for a few, a season at this church, a denominational church. Well, one day we were riding home in the car and my father and mother were talking about this young man they met. And the young man had talked with my father and he said, you know, I took a vocational test and it's, they said I'd make a great pastor and he wanted to be Episcopalian. My father was Baptist, so this was a Baptist church, basically. But this young man had gotten it in his mind that God wanted him because he'd taken a test. He didn't even know the Lord. He didn't even really know about inviting Jesus into his heart to be born again. He just knew it sounded good. It was respectable to be a, to be a profession that could be respected at the time. So he was going to go to the seminary and get all invested and be a pastor by choice. But the irony is, and my parents were talking about it, 
He didn't even have the relationship with the Lord. He didn't even know the Lord deeply. He just signed on because some vocational test. So we're not talking that. You've got to hear from God yourself. Paul himself is such a hero role model. He said, I didn't make myself a minister. I didn't achieve this ministry. I, he gives it all the credit to God. God fashioned me over time, over sifting, over turmoil, over the process. He made me into his minister, his minister, his ministry. And that's who I am. That's this minister here. That's who I am. I is his. I, I am here by his grace and his will. And I'm not under the law. And I'm here because a great father in heaven, but also great pastor parents who are not egos, self-righteous or pompous. But they let me hear God for myself. And then God was there with all these wonderful examples through the years on TV, in real life. People who have spoken to my life who still do. And just patient, long-suffering. I have to point out one of the another missing Bible verse, which is very harmful right now to certain people who don't fit the mold, the cloned version of Christian ministry. That is Galatians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, Paul himself, who wrote two-thirds of the Bible, he wrote Ephesians 4, community, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, with God the Father of us all, everyone walking in meekness and lowliness together in long-suffering. That means everybody is a Christian. He wrote Galatians 1, 1 and 2. Nobody taught me this. I'm saying this. Nobody taught me this Bible. My daddy didn't teach me all of this. No, he didn't talk about this. God did. He let me discover it like and let you. I didn't have any clue about Galatians 1, 1 and 2 where it said Paul, an apostle, sent out by not any one man, any one person or any one group. He went under a famous person or in under a local apostle or anybody else. He was sent out by God. And that, I think, is safety for right now. Where we live, there are too many weirdos. There are too many presumptuous egos who want to look down on people and say they are over everybody. They're the queen or the king of the ministry at grassroots. I'm talking grassroots. Where are the servant leaders? Where are the chief apostles like Paul in chapter 4 maybe or 5 it says he's the off scouring of the world, the dung the ones who are least likely to look like it, the ones who pay the price take no income for it the ones who do it because they love God but they're in the will of God, that's most important where are the group like that, that are young, mature middle aged on up where are the ones who are not bowing down to hierarchy worshiping and fawning at the feet of the devil because they're people-pleasing, human-pleasing, seeking. Where are those in ministry? The Bible teaches me, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. That's Jesus' red-letting words of the Beatitudes. Where are the pure in heart? They shall see God. What does that mean? They shall perceive him more accurately, better, and they'll watch him move on their behalf to bless them and be with them better and more accurately because they're not filled with mammon chasing being over everybody being atop of their own elite legalistic system no they're instead wanting to please god be part of his ephesians for community do it for the body of christ even if they are treated with disrespect and left at the bottom of the christian pack of dunghill 
read this for yourself. In the eras where they've taught all these vocabulary words in teaching, you know, I was brought up during when teaching came on the scene, that was big. Then prophetic got on the scene, that's big. Everybody's a capital P and wants to be a prophet. Well, be a prophet, but it's lowercase letter like Jesus, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, Acts 10, 38, Revelation 19, 10. Look those up for yourself. Be like Jesus as the prophet. Capital, no capital A, servant leader. Then it came to be the apostle. And I teach, I is one, frankly. But I, and I'm a chief apostle of this work, but I teach lowercase letters and I watch Paul how he did it. I don't see lowercase letter ministries and fivefold offices being talked about, male or female. I don't see that ministry. I don't see people saying, oh, apostle, rather than achieving it, oh yes, we don't dare talk about it, it's too holy and saintly, that they're really the work planners God has called and commissioned who are like the off-scouring, disrespected, planning a new work. They're well not known, they're not even well received because they don't look like the current move. They're called false. They're lied about. They're treated like dirt, disrespected. And if they're a female, even worse, or maybe black, even worse, mistrusted because they don't look like the current vogue style of in-style pomp and circumstance apostle, the overlord of everybody. I don't want to be, I'm like Paul. I don't want to be over everybody. I want to be respected. And I might stand up if you're disrespectful to me as a person. But you know what? I don't want to be over everybody because Paul wasn't. He said, I want you to be my co-laborers. Paul said in Galatians 1, 1 and 2, I, Paul, not sent out by any one person, any one pastor, not any one group, not any one famous TV ministry that you've ever heard of. I'm not sent out by them. I'm sent out and commissioned by the Lord and those brothers, surely they were married to sisters, those brothers and sisters who were with me. They were alongside him. They were with him, not under him. Paul doesn't use the vocabulary of under me. Paul doesn't use the vocabulary of I'm achieving my ministry. I'm working hard so I get one or get it famous. No, but that's what you're meeting out here everywhere, every turn in certain parts of the Christian body, the plastic plastic, mind-renewed, powerful, but not powerfully hungry for revelation about the Holy Spirit and relationships, not powerfully hungry about holy fear of the Lord, not hungry about loving people that don't look like them, not hungry for more of just God, but instead hungry for bless me, give me, I want my stuff. I want my four and no more. I want my ministry to get known. That's the kind we don't want to... I don't want in my network. I avoid that like one of the seven plagues. I avoid it if I can possibly do it. But I had to learn about how to do it because I was in it. Not knowing what I was seeing. Not knowing what I was doing. Not knowing who I was really... What the doctrines were or the spirit behind the doctrines can be. But what I say... Assess, not accuse. I'm impassioned. I'm very impassioned because I've seen Jesus' name besmirched. Jesus Christ was passionate. That's why he tossed over the temple money changers and reproved and rebuked them openly. But he wasn't screaming at them, demeaning them, and so forth. 
So we are for all colors, for white, for black, for brown. And we're for true people. But right now you've got to figure out one by one on every occasion who the real true person, trustworthy Christian is if they say they're born again. And what kind of ministry is really one that's not a showboat into so much taking of offerings. They're now a casino boat. Put your money in there and you gamble to see if God will multiply it back. At the same time, I believe, I can believe some of that. I believe in sowing and reaping. I believe, because it's in the Bible. I believe in all sorts of things, just not to make it on its own doctrinal throne, to use, to abuse people or rip them off, or to make God look like the false person that he's not, that he's only interested in our success, that we value money more than anything else, even in ministry. The last, and I'm going to close, the last from such turn away fellowship. Remember there's Second Timothy 1, 1 through 5, lovers, boasters of themselves, big egos, choosing not to repent. All right, could be male or female. That says from such turn away. The other one is First Timothy 5, excuse me, 6, 5. It says if... The ministries or teachers say that you are not blessed. God has not blessed you because you don't have wealth. Then it says from such turn away. And I have right after that verse is our verse. Our verse for this ministry and we need it. And I love it. It says godliness with contentment is great gain. That's my ministry. Godliness with contentment, like Paul the Apostle. Sometimes I'm in need, sometimes I'm in not, sometimes I have work, sometimes I don't. But I am so content because I can rest in His love, His spirit, His peace, His power, and I know the Lord, and we're only passing through. This is for eternity, not for me and my sake, the here and now. Thank God for that. We're only passing through. So please read through 1 Corinthians' first seven chapters, let's say about the celebrity church, about Paul, about all the carnal church trying to work its way in and Paul trying to work out the carnality of the Corinthians. I'm going to teach more about it because I'm trying to work on me also, but I think it's the day in which we live, the Corinthians church, as well as the, the egocentric church, as well as we find the, the um, Ephesians 4 church, pre-Christian, multicultural, diverse, many things with relationships needed to be taught, And that is because we're in the post, for the most part, most everywhere is now post-Christian, unless we really get on our, you know, get get God's help to get back to where we should be, could be and maybe. So let's all give thanks and not criticize. I am being strong and forceful like I've never done because I know it's God's will because I have a passion, a zeal. For my father's house, but am I trying to build my own? No, I'm trying to build your, but Jesus' house, wherever He wants it. I think tithing, because I've heard so much, and I gotta go. There's so much tithing going on. I think if we just say, give to the storehouse that God tells you is your storehouse, whether it's me in this ministry, it'll come from the Spirit, and if it's somebody else, give there. Let the Lord lead you wherever your storehouses are. I think maybe have two. If you have lots of income, give to where God leads you, whether it's online, on land, people you know, people you you know listen and respect and receive from, whatever it is, it's time now for the body of Christ to shake this thing. That is a thing. A lot of systems depend upon the income. Our ministry, 
we wish we had income to depend upon. No, we we have the Lord. We're having a uh, really. It's amazing. God has allowed me by grace to go and have Him provide for me without big offering taking, without big money making, or even having big money to where I'm really getting out there with the word of the Lord. On the other hand, we could use prayer. We need more prayer people, more senders, supporters like Paul. He had people that gave. We could use that because I feel like it's time to go get a tour bus and have our needs met an office in on DFW land, maybe a couple of them, and then go out and preach the ministry without always having to think of our own, you know, privately, not online. I'm always having to ask God, Lord, how do I make it? How do I really make it? Because God is so good, yet I have a great time like I've never had. But because we don't trust people. I really do not trust people in general in the area as if they say they're Christian, if they're in ministry. I really do not. And I used to be able to a lot more where I used to live on the East Coast. I do not feel that now. So I have to really watch where I'm sent. And then also because of the suspicion out there uh, in ministry and money, a female man, you don't want to, but they're not friendly and so we're trying to hear God, and ours is just prayer. Keep their faith up, lift up Moses' hands, and that God will reveal, because I need to get the ministry music and our store up. But it's been so much going on that I couldn't focus. But God is good, His mercy endures, and we are meeting now more family kind of folk everywhere. All of a sudden, it's so wonderful. God loves you. Now, people who are fellowshipping online, you already understand it, but I'm teaching Use what you're hearing. Don't accuse what you're hearing from me. I'm giving you straight talk so that maybe there's something you need to change and focus on and reevaluate about your online ministry. Don't forget one of the mottos to remind people, a red flag motto about the online ministry is there's no place like home. Why do I want to go out, spend my money, my energy, my time, get my children ready, give my tithe, put up with all the hassle to get there and have somebody suspect me, ostracize me, put me down, or make me feel that they are, they're projecting rejection, chauvinism, bias, racism. Why? That defeats, that's the opposite. So we're saying, I'd rather go in line, men and women, than face disrespect and that accuser from the church itself, Jesus House. So I'm putting it out there. You can look at mergefromchurch.wordpress.com. I've done that for many years out here because I identify and help people try to come find Jesus. You don't have to always go to fellowship at a real land church because some of them are not healthy and some of them are caustic. Not all, but I hope to say it so much that it gets people so hyper-concerned about it that they're going to really stop this kind of thing on land. 